Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Yeah, Father's Day, Mother's Day, those are sometimes a little bit different. You know, Mother's Day, the moms are like, oh, come in, I want my kids with me, like, come in close. And Father's Day is like, hey, shouldn't you go with them? Like, you're saying that to your teenagers. Hey, shouldn't you go with them? No. Fathers, I want to add my voice to those who have already greeted you. Happy Father's Day. And uh, I've been doing this dad gig for almost 20 years now. It's, uh, it's always a new adventure. Like, every day it's something. Um, uh, Levi, Liberty, they just thought they were in trouble. Isaac, um, I love being your dad. It is one of the best things of my life. So I'm grateful for you. Well, here we are, continuing our journey, traveling along through the story of Acts, because we are seen in this kind of where we fit into God's story. That's why we're doing this, because the, the story continues and the things, it might not be exactly the same as we see in the New Testament book of Acts, but there's so many similarities to how we're trying to navigate and live our lives here today too. So, uh, so that's why we're doing that. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Uh, it'll be on the screens. You can follow along on the screens. Uh, you can Google it, and, you know, Acts chapter 8, 1 through 25. Uh, it'll come up on your phone or go to your Bible app or whatever, follow along there. Um, but it's good to, to kind of read it as I read it out loud, just another way to take it in. And, uh, and I'm going to ask in just a moment, when we're done reading, I'm going to ask you what you notice. This is part of how we engage scripture together is just, what did you notice? And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So the test is coming. All right, Acts chapter 8, and we're beginning to read kind of in the second part of verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention. And they exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus the Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said to them, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Hmm. Let's pause and pray for a moment. Father, uh, would you, by the power of your spirit, allow us to see what you want us to see in these scriptures? You inspired Luke to write them down, And so we ask that you, by that same spirit that inspired them, would make them come alive to us. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. And and Father, would you, in your goodness, in your nearness, and in your love, would you make our hearts soft to receive what you have for us today? Make us attentive to your presence, Lord. Your spirit is here. Your spirit has come. Make us attentive to your nearness and your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the one who sits enthroned in heaven today. In his name, we pray that you would do these things. Amen. Amen. All right. What were some of the things that you noticed? Joy in the city. city. Yeah. When the gospel was brought to the city, there was joy there, wasn't there? And they were seeing the power. Like there was something that was really being celebrated as they saw the power of the spirit. That's great. What are some of the other things that stood out to you that you noticed? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost right? The Holy Spirit was a key, key figure in all of this, absolutely. Simon really didn't get it. Simon didn't get it, did he? Like he was really excited about what's going on, but he was way off, wasn't he? Yeah, that's great. Simon didn't get it. What are some of the other things that you noticed? You can't pay your way in, can you? Yeah, he thought it was just a matter of transaction. But he was pretty soundly chastised and rebuked for that, wasn't he? Yeah, you can't pay your way in. What else did you notice? Yeah, yeah. So you remember we talked about Stephen's life and his death last week. And so with the death of Stephen began this persecution. And that's how things started out here. And everybody scattered. All the Christians scattered. And then... Luke notes, except for the apostles. So the apostles stayed there in Jerusalem, but everybody else scattered around. Like it, it, yeah, and even as that happened, you gotta kind of even ask the question, is this done now? Is this done? Kind of, it begs the question, doesn't it? Like what's gonna happen? Like there was so much going on here, and now the scattering. What's going on? Yeah, that's great, except the apostles. That's, That's an interesting piece, isn't it? What else? Anybody, one or two things? Yeah. The calling of the Holy Spirit was separate at this point. 
yeah, there, there's something in there that's at least curious, isn't it? That, that the folks in Samaria uh, were, were bad, they believed the message about Jesus as Messiah, and they were baptized in his name, but yet Luke is telling us they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit until Peter and John came from Jerusalem. Yeah, that's, like, that's the kind of, like, we don't even get a lot of answers about that in the text, do we? And sometimes people will try to fill in dots, but it, it creates, like, oh, I wonder what that is. I, I wonder what's happening here. And that wonder is a part of what we explore together. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Patty. Somebody back here was saying something, too. Who else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and it wasn't even just as Peter and John came, it was as they, they laid hands on them that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Yeah, that's different than, than a lot of us would, would think. And so it creates this wonder, it creates this curiosity, absolutely. That's great. I love how you guys are exploring these things. And as we, we look at this, we, we allow these questions to surface uh, in our hearts and our minds. And even the curiosity or the, hmm, I'm not so sure, leads us further in uh, to explore what's going on here. You know, there's this dynamic, like you were talking about this, where the scattering was happened. So Stephen was martyred. Remember, we talked even last week, martyr comes from the Greek word martus. Like they sound very similar. And that's the word that's also translated witness. So like martyr and witnesses together. So to be a witness is to give one's life, sometimes even to the point of death, but not necessarily always. To be a witness is to give one's life uh, for that thing. Uh, on behalf of, to, to display that which you're witness to, which in this case, it's Jesus as Messiah. And so Stephen's death uh, was, he was kind of the, called the first martyr uh, who gave his life as witness to Jesus. We talked about that last week. But it set in motion this whole thing. And you might remember even from the story about uh, Stephen's I think I said the wrong name. I don't think I said Stephen. I think I said somebody else. I'm sorry if I confused that. So Stephen's death. Uh, and then now we've got, uh, it set in motion this whole thing. And so we got Saul, who just kind of beginning to creep up. Saul was holding the coats. Saul approved of this. And now we see Saul going all in on this persecution. And, and it starts to get messy, as if it wasn't messy enough. Like the coming of the Holy Spirit, the different languages, the stuff in Jerusalem, the going before the Sanhedrin, as if it wasn't messy enough. The mess dial just got turned up to 10, right? It, it's the scattering. And as we read about the scattering, it again can elicit in our readers like, oh, is this, is this the end? You might remember when other people would talk about uh, previous movements of people that claimed to be Messiah. So-and-so rose up, they claimed to be Messiah. We're here to talk about Jacob. Uh, and uh, so he claimed to be Messiah. And, but then when he was killed, all of his people scattered and nothing more was heard about it. There was the talk from Gamaliel. And so he was kind of talking about that. It's happened before. So it's begging the question, for, is this the end? Is this the end? And of course, what we learn is, au contraire. Far from being the end. As a matter of fact, it's, it's in this messiness, it's in the, uh, the scattering, in, it, it's in this, what feels even like chaos. Like who's going where and how are we keeping track of things? Like they didn't have the 
360 app to always know where everybody was. Like, how are we going to keep track of things? That just, is it going to just dissipate and go away? In, in, in that mess as it's going on, it can create some anxiety in us. What's going on? Is this the end? Is, is it being dissipated and no more followers of Jesus just going to fade into the woodwork like everybody else? But that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, as things get messy, it's important for us to remember this. Listen, as things get messy, God still moves. As things get messy, God still moves. The movement of God is far from over, even with the messiness of the scattering. And so let's pull this apart a little bit. See, life is going to get messy. It is going to get messy. Life gets messy. Sometimes it's messy because of other people. Uh, plans don't go the way that we think they ought to go. We, we make our plans this way, and then something else completely happens. Has anybody had your plans turn out different than you thought they would? Raise your hands a little bit. Right? Oh, I'm glad to know most of you, like you make the plans and it just goes exactly as you think it is, right? No, no, no. We, we make a plan. We're going to move here and we end up moving there. Oh, I'm going to live here and we end up living there. Like Heidi and I, we're, not, we're transplants into New England, uh, but, but we love being here in New England. And um, 30 years ago was our first time living here during graduate school. And we wanted to be here. We wanted to live here. Uh, we wanted to be a part of what God is doing in New England. That was our heart's desire. And then we ended up pinging around Buffalo and Chicago before God saw fit. So all these times, it was 15, 20 years that we were like, God, why? you know we want to be here. Why do you keep moving us here? You know we want to be there, but here we find ourselves here. And then we move from Buffalo to Chicago. We're like, Lord, that's the opposite direction. Lord, are you, are you struggling with east and west and not knowing what's going to happen? And uh, it just wouldn't happen. And so there were times where I really wrestled with, like, my plan was this. I'm living in this, right? And so our plans change. Sometimes it's our own decisions and sometimes it's out of our control and we can wrestle with those things. And, and what can happen is we'd say, well, this was the plan, but now I'm living this. I thought God was in the plan, so God must not be in this. I've had conversations with a few of you who early in your life, you're like, I kind of wondered if I was supposed to go into vocational ministry and be a pastor, but I didn't. And now I'm doing this and maybe God's hand is off me. No, no, no. Like as life gets messy, as life gets messy, things go differently than we might expect. God is there in the midst of it. God is doing what he does. His mission is being accomplished right there in the midst of the messiness. And as we engage in the mission of God, it is not linear. It's not linear. It's like this is what the mission of God looks like. But this everywhere you set your feet, everywhere you go, if you are committed to Jesus, you are a participant in his mission as witness. And even in those spaces where it doesn't go the way we thought it should, where things are being scattered, where persecution or an opposition seems heavy, right? Sometimes the mess is our own decisions. Sometimes the mess is the decisions that others make. Sometimes the mess is just outright opposition, like we're seeing here in Acts chapter 8. The, the persecution, the opposition, opposition gets thick, and it messes up the plans and how it's supposed to go. 
God is there in the midst of the mess. God still moves. In the midst of the mess, God still moves. And for these early Christians, it got messy through the persecution of Saul. You look at those first few verses of what we read here. It went from one person, Stephen, being stoned to Saul opening up the floodgates of persecution and opposition right there in Jerusalem. He went house to house, dragging out men and women, anybody who was a part of the way. That's what they were calling it, the follower of Jesus at this point. They didn't have many formal names, but they kind of called it the way. Uh, We're not even calling them Christians yet. And so he'd go and find people who have given their allegiance to Jesus and drag them out and imprison them and even killed many. And as word of that persecution spread, so did the people. They scattered. They scattered. You know, one little, at least I find it an interesting note. Uh, we're going to learn this later about Saul, who, if, you know, spoiler, he, he gives his life to Jesus pretty dramatic fashion. We're going to talk about this, but some of you are newer to the story. A little spoiler alert here. So we're going to learn more about Saul. We often refer to him as Paul after his conversion to, to Jesus. Um, we're going to learn, and one of the things we're going to learn about him is he was a disciple under the rabbi Gamaliel. Now, if you've been following along in the story here, you might remember Gamaliel. He was a man who was highly respected in the Sanhedrin. And when he stood up, to, he was one of those people that when Gamaliel speaks, everybody listens. And so he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he spoke. And he, the thing he said is, folks, listen, we've had these other people rise up before and they, they just scattered and amounted to nothing. So I urge you not to do anything. Don't, don't persecute these followers of Jesus. If it's of God, you're going to find yourself in opposition of God, which you don't want. If it's not of God, then it's just going to blow away as if nothing happened. All right, so just relax. Don't do anything. Let these men go. That was Gamaliel, this highly respected uh, rabbi, teacher in the Sanhedrin. And what we learn is Saul was a disciple, a zealous disciple of Gamaliel. Isn't it ironic? Gamaliel's the one saying, hey, let it go. See what happens with God. And here's his disciple in short order, going, yeah, I'm going to go kill him. And those are very different things that are going on here. But this is Saul, and he was, he was energized. He was charged with this. He was zealous for this. And he created this, this mess. But remember, when things get messy, God still moves. And he doesn't move despite the mess. He moves within it to accomplish his aims. God's movement won't be thwarted by the mess even opposition. And as we experience the messiness of opposition, people who might stand opposed to us as we bear witness of Jesus, and whatever that looks like in our lives, one, we shouldn't be surprised because opposition is a plenty. We live in a world that has a completely different value system than the value system of the kingdom of God which Jesus showed us and opened the door through his death and resurrection for us to participate in. Through his ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live in the kingdom of God, which sets up a completely different kind of life, a new life that just doesn't make sense to the world around us. If we live in faithfulness to that life, new life in Jesus, there's gonna be this opposition. It's gonna look all kinds of ways. But God's movement won't be thwarted 
by opposition. As a matter of fact, God uses opposition. The very same thing that might look like it ends the movement of God, God uses that to advance his movement. Look back at, uh, uh, starting at verse 4. So we'll look at verses 4 through 8 again. Those who had been scattered preached, listen to this, those who had been scattered preached the word, right, this good news, wherever they went. Wherever they went. And then we dial in, we get a closer look at Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy, great joy in that city. The mission of Jesus had arrived. And see, Luke is recording these things. Because we're seeing that that which Jesus began is being continued by the Holy Spirit alive in God's people. And this is how the the mission spreads. So the very thing that people might have looked at and said, finally, they're scattered. We can be done with this whole Jesus thing. It actually was what God used to spread the message of his coming and his rule and reign as Messiah. Isn't that phenomenal? The very thing they thought would destroy it is what God used to spread it. God is spreading, like from the very beginning, God's purpose has been to to spread salvation, his salvation to all nations. Remember, Jesus even said, go wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will come, and then you'll be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, and then where? And then to Judea and Samaria, did you happen to notice where the scattered disciples are being spread? Like Jesus said, this is my intention. My ministry will spread. It's not going to stay here in Jerusalem. It's going to spread. And the next step after Jerusalem is going to be Judea and Samaria. Well, how are we going to get to Judea and Samaria? I can imagine that the apostles, actually, I don't think they pulled out their whiteboards and started planning out their strategy in the whiteboard session. And they had program management over here. And they, who's going to do this? And like, I, I don't, They weren't doing this. They were just trying to keep up with the movement of the spirit. It was there in Jerusalem. People of Jewish faith. We're coming to faith in Jesus and we're figuring a lot of those pieces out. So even if they beg the question, how are we going to get to Judea and Samaria? Who's going to go there? Not it. All right, that's what a lot of them would have done. It's like, not it. I'm not going. But here, that which was meant to destroy is the very thing that God used to spread. And so as they scatter, they go to Judea and Samaria. And again, another spoiler alert, we're not done there. It's going to go even farther, but we're going to get to that a little bit later on. Right? So this is an important reminder for us that God's movement will not be thwarted by the mess, not even opposition or persecution. Right? So that's an important thing for us to take in here. This other thing here, looking at verses 14 through 17, God's movement blows past boundaries. Now we live our lives with a lot of boundaries. Who's in, who's out? What group belongs, what group doesn't belong. It's one of the ways that that we tend to navigate life, all right, with boundaries. But what we see here is that the Holy Spirit animates God's mission and it it blows through boundaries. It doesn't respect our boundaries. Now, again, where do we see that? Verses 14 to 15. So at this point, uh, the, uh, the, the word had spread back to Jerusalem, 
Somebody had tweeted out, hey, God's, God's doing something here in Samaria. This is great. And so the apostles in Jerusalem read the tweet and said, hey, we should go check it out. And so Peter and John are the emissaries from the apostles in Jerusalem to go to Samaria, just, which is a region just north of Jerusalem. So they go there and they're checking things out. And so this happens while they're there. When the apostles, we're talking about Peter and John, uh, are in, uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed, and this is what you were talking about, Patty. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they did that because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this is significant in a number of ways. So we, we understand from previous readings and uh, as we've studied you know, scripture and read the gospels and that thing, one of the things that we learn is that uh, Jews and Samaritans are at odds with each other. They, they don't get along with each other. Uh, Jews kind of uh, viewed themselves as, as the pure uh, people of God, and that Samaritans were this, this mixed up, they had a, a, a mixed ethnicity, and, and Jew was in there, but they weren't pure in that. And so there was this, this distance and this disregard um, between each other. And, and they went back and forth. Uh, so they had this animosity with each other. And here, here's what I think is beginning to happen here, all right? So first, the gospel gets to Samaria through the scattering God does this amazing thing where people believe in Jesus and are baptized in Jesus. Now, Peter and John are coming from Jerusalem. So that in itself is significant. They're, they're trying to figure these things out. This is all brand new for them. None of them have done this before. There aren't instruction manuals on how to, how to do a movement of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're learning as they go. What they had was the scriptures that revealed to them uh, how God works and, and what to look for. And, and what they had was the Holy Spirit, uh, was God walking with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so they were trying to figure these things out. So now the scattering happens. The word is preached in Samaria. And oddly enough, people in Samaria are responding. Well, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. You might remember a story from Jesus' life where he and his disciples were traveling. They were just passing through and they stopped at a well in Samaria and the disciples go in and buy food and while the disciples are gone, Jesus had this conversation with uh, the woman at the well. Maybe you remember that story in Samaria. And she responded to who Jesus was when he revealed that he was Messiah. She was like filled with faith and God did something. And then she went and told her village what she had just seen, and others came. Now, it wasn't time for them to be this massive movement, but we get a clue already in the Gospels that are recorded for us that there's something percolating in Samaria as they anticipate the coming of Messiah. And so now, through the scattering, the word is spread, Messiah has come, his name is Jesus. I kind of wonder, like we're not told this here, this is just a wondering, if the woman who talked with Jesus heard the message by, by, uh, by, by the preaching here and went, I knew him. Like, we talked. How cool is that? Like, I remember with him that day. You remember I went and told you? Like, you told me that you know, I had all these husbands and the one I'm with now is not even my husband. Like, she's, like, this is a gas for her. Like, I'm imagining that she's, like, I knew him. Like, this is, like, that's the one I thought, right? And so the seeds had already been planted, but now there's this harvest that's taking place. Now, what could have happened at this moment is 
the, the, the narrative gets built that, uh, oh, uh, the faithful Jesus followers are there in Jerusalem. People ran away, and, and there's, there's something else going up in Samaria, but we all know those Samaritans, wink, wink. They make stuff up. They're not really a part of us. So, oh, whatever, it's up there. But through the prompting of the Spirit, Peter and John make their way up into Samaria to see for themselves. And so what's already happening, by their arrival, it's bringing these two groups together. It's not allowing the narrative to get any tractions that, oh, those crazy Samaritans, they're just overdoing their own thing. You see how that's beginning? Just the, as the narrative unfolds, it's bringing the two groups together. These groups that have been in uh, animosity towards each other are beginning to be brought back together. And so then Peter and John arrive on the scene and they notice that the Holy Spirit hadn't come in the same way. Now, like God is doing something. Like people are waking up spiritually. So it's, it's clear that God, Spirit, is doing something, but not in the way that, that had happened back in Acts chapter two. And so they said, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't done this yet. And so what they knew to do was to put their hands on and pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And so... That notion of hands-on comes from a very long uh, tradition, which is really significant. It's how people were anointed uh, with authority. And so they would place, uh, usually oil, but place the hands-on to anoint a prophet, to anoint a king, to anoint the priest. And so that hands-on is, is, is an anointing. Uh, and that anointing becomes important because uh, Messiah, or the Greek word Christ, right? Those mean the same thing. Christ, Messiah means the same thing. Uh, it means literally anointed one. So the Hebrew scriptures said God's going to send the anointed one who will rescue his people. And he left the breadcrumb trail that leads to Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one. So now the Holy Spirit comes and now they're proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one. And they're becoming, as this is happening, they're becoming a new people. What kind of people are they becoming? They're becoming Messiah people. They're becoming Messiah people. Later on, they'll be called Christ people or Christians. That's what Christian means. Anointed ones. Because that's what Christ means, the anointed one. So those who are following the anointed one, who they themselves are anointed. And so there's this, it, it's not incidental that Peter and John lay their hands on and the Holy Spirit comes. It, it's not um, prescriptive. It's a narrative that's showing us what's happening. And it can make us go, go I'm not sure what is happening here, but it draws us in. And then we pay attention. We say, oh, the hands on, that's like anointing. So there was an affirmation. It's Peter and John through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit affirming the anointing that these Samaritans, good for nothing Samaritans out here, are actually one of us. They too, they too are Messiah people. They too are Christ people just like us. And so this whole thing could have gone so badly with divisiveness but God, in his mission, is making a new people of all nations. And so God's mission, by the power of his spirit, plows through these divisions. And this is one of the ways that he's doing that. And you think about the divisions that we can have in our lives. 
And God's mission blows through those. The very place that we want to say, God doesn't reach those people. God doesn't work there. See, God's spirit can't be contained in the ways that we think he can be. And God, God's mission empowered by God's spirit and God's people blows past the boundaries that we set up. The boundaries of judgment, the boundaries of fear, the boundaries of ethnicity and language, economics, kind of whatever it is. God blows through those things in his mission. His mission isn't bound by the things that we think, maybe even think it ought to be bound by, but it's not. And as we look at this movement here, this movement is empowered by his spirit, which can't be contained and can't be controlled. Tammy, you said can't be bought, right? So we get a picture of that. That's what got Simon the sorcerer in such trouble. Is here, he was so, his identity was wrapped up in being the guy that impressed. The guy that impressed and everybody followed because he did good tricks. And then when he saw the Holy Spirit, he knew he'd been bested. Like there was nothing in him that said, oh, I can do that too. He's like, no, I gotta get that too. Like that's the best party trick that I've seen. If I had that, then people would really think that my power was from God. And that's where it gets all twisted up. See, we think we can contain the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit isn't contained and controlled in the ways that we think it, it, it ought to be. And so here's Simon who thought he could control and contain the Holy Spirit with his money. Let me buy this. Let me, let me do this on my terms. And we so often do that too. We make sure that God's Spirit is contained. Now we want to make sure that he's in the box that we're in, but we draw a nice tight little circle where we create a nice little box where the Spirit is contained and our perceptions of what God does and through his Holy Spirit is contained. Or where we contain God's spirit. I say, no, God won't do that. Or God did that once, but God's not going to do that anymore. So we kind of set the rules on what God can and cannot do. Oh, what was the response when Simon tried to control? It was not a gentle, oh, Simon, silly goof. That's not how it works. No, they like spun on their heels. And they rebuked him with the strongest of terms. Your wickedness. You are consumed by sin to even desire this. You can't buy the Holy Spirit with money. You have no part in this. And we're being reminded in this in our own ways that, that we try to contain and control the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the wind. It blows wherever it wills. It does what it does. He does what he does. That's how God works. And woe upon us if we think we can contain him or control him. Woe to us when we try. The Holy Spirit is God among us. Holy Righteous, powerful, love. This is who he is among us by his spirit. I do like that, and I'm thankful, thankful for Simon. He seemed to repent here. Like we don't get the big drawn out story, but, it, but when he gets this rebuke, 
He turns and he says, look at verse 24, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. There is almost this sense of, of this awe, like you pray, like I'm not even praying for myself, like you're right. like, nope, 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 nope. I don't want that. Like his heart was turned in this, like you pray that this won't happen to me, that I won't experience God's, God's judgment on me. Do you hear that in his repentance in this? There's something that God was doing powerful in his life when he finally saw that God's spirit is not to be contained and controlled. He repented. So did you see these things in this text, in this passage? God's movement won't be thwarted by opposition. As a matter of fact, it will thrive in the midst of the mess. God's movement blows past the boundaries that we as people so often set up. And God's movement is empowered. It's not empowered by us. It's not a human endeavor. We're seeing that, right? Because Gamaliel said, if they scatter and it amounts to nothing, then we'll know it wasn't of God. What do, we, what do we see in this? Oh, this is of God. The movement of God is empowered by God's spirit, which won't be contained and controlled. And so what do we do with this? How do we respond to these things? Well, one of the things, one of the responses you might have is to be courageous. Be courageous. God's movement doesn't stop because of the mess. As a matter of fact, God is strongly at work right in the middle of it. it might be a mess that you yourself created in humble repentance like our brother Simon, humble repentance, God is at work right in the midst of the mess. Even if you created it, you have not blown your life up beyond the place that God can reach you. You face opposition from other people or spiritual attack and you feel like, oh, this is so heavy. God can't do anything here in the thick molasses of this opposition. That is precisely the place that God is at work. So be courageous. Walk forward with conviction and stand firm in faith. Be present. Not only be courageous, but be present. God has you right where you are. Be all there. You might even be on the precipice of change and move, but today you're here. Be all here. Wherever you are, be all there because that is where God is working in you and through you. God is not waiting for you to get there to do a good work in you and through you. God is doing a good work in you and through you right where you're at. You might experience frustration. You might experience longing for something other than you, where you are. And, and that might be a geographic. It might be in life station, right? So you're a single adult and you so long for marriage. Oh, and sometimes it feels like God can't work in your life as a single adult. Where you are, be there because that is precisely where God's mission is at work in you and through you. Might be that you're married and you're longing for children and you're not there yet. But when we get here, then we'll see God work. God is present with you and at work in you and through you where you are today. Be courageous. Be present. Your job, if only I could lose this job and get that job. Be where you are. 
Be courageous. Be present. And be open. Be open. God's spirit isn't contained or controlled. God's spirit isn't contained or controlled. And God's sovereign movement and grace is not threatened for a moment by the mess or opposition. This is who he is. And this is what he does. And this is what he invites us into. This is where our story connects with him. As we learn to notice him, be attentive to him, stand courageously and firm by the faith that he is at work in me and through me, here today, be present. And then with curiosity and wonder, be open. I wonder what God will do today. I wonder what God will do here. This is such a mess. I wonder what God will do here. And walk with him in that joy because we get to see what he will do. I'm going to pause for a moment and pray. Father, meet us in our mess. Redeem us in our mess. And call us to yourself, we pray. Amen. Before Jesus was uh, betrayed and crucified, he celebrated a meal with his disciples. We've come to know it as the Lord's Supper or communion. We're going to pause for a moment now. And in doing this, as we hold the little broken piece of bread cracker and the little juice, um, we're reminded, reminded of what he has done. And it seemed that all was lost in the moment of his betrayal and crucifixion. It would seem that all is lost. The movement is done. That which Jesus started would not continue. But what we learn is that Messiah had to come and go into death so that he could come through death and out the other side. And in doing so, unleash new creation among all nations. And so here we sit with a remembrance of who he is and what he has done. And as one body, we take it into ourselves for he and he alone is our life. So our team's gonna pass the trays by. If you would just take one little piece of cracker and one little cup and hold them for a moment, I'm gonna come back and we'll receive it together. It's a celebration of the body. As you hold that and it's gonna get passed in quietness, it's a good time to just allow the Holy Spirit to uh, check your heart and check your spirit. And, um, and a time for you to repent where he might show you there's some sin that you've been holding on to or maybe even surprised by, still repent of that so we can come to his table uh, in his righteousness, in his purity prepared to receive his goodness. Now, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus and you haven't made that decision to follow him yet, we love that you're here. Uh, be among us. Kick the tires and, and, and let's see what God will do as he shows you who he is. Um, but uh, scripture tells us that this is for those who believe. And so we don't want to ask you to do something that isn't consistent with who you are and where you're at in your journey. So I'd invite you, if you're not uh, a part of God's family by choice, then um, let the trays go on by. Uh, nobody's going to look at you weird, but again, we don't want to ask you to do something that's not consistent with where you're at. Uh, parents, this is a good time. If you haven't before, talk to your kids that are with you about what's going on here, and it might not be time for them to participate in, but they can learn from you and watch you and uh, be a part of this as you participate, all right? So again, just kind of sit in quietness and evaluation and let the Spirit speak as our team serves us and passes the elements. Go ahead. I'll be back in just a moment. As the meal came to a close, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them and as he did, he said, this is my body 
broken for you. His brokenness would lead to their, to our healing, mending, redemption. So today we take it and eat it with thanksgiving because his brokenness leads to our healing. Take it, need it, and give thanks. And he took the cup and he drank from the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you, a blood of a new covenant, a new way to relate with God, that by the giving of his life, there would be a new way to come before the Father. It was holy and righteous and loving and powerful. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we come into the presence of God and are restored and reconciled to him. So take it. And drink it with thanksgiving today of the life that he has given through his shed blood. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have never been thwarted in your mission to redeem the world. To call to yourself a people who would walk in new life and serve as witness, as signpost to all of creation that you reign. That your new life has come even if it is not yet fulfilled. So we are thankful to you, and Jesus, that you would give your life to open the door to this new life. That not only you yourself walked in it, but you have brought us into it as well through your sacrifice. Thank you. We cannot thank you enough we will live our lives filled to overflowing with gratitude for what you have done and in praise for who you are. We love you. Amen and amen. Stand with me if you would. It's messy out there, isn't it? I mean, there might be some moments where we keep it in the guardrails and it seems nice and high and tight, but for So many of us, our lives are lived in the messiness of our world, sometimes even of our own making, or even in opposition of those around us. Oh, God's mission is not thwarted for a moment by the mess of life. As a matter of fact, he is profoundly at work in the midst of it. May you know his peace. May you know his joy. May you know his abiding and abundant love as you walk with him in the mess. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.